Hello, church family. This is uh, chapter 5, part 1 of Esther. Um, We are halfway through, or we're almost halfway through. There's 10 chapters here, uh, so we're at least beginning the halfway point. By the end of the week, we'll finally go through halfway through this book. And uh, it's been a joy, and it's it's, it's just fun for me to be able to just dive into as much as I can with the time that I have, and just to glean some of the truths of Scripture that's making me you trust in the Lord even more during this time. This week I like to talk a lot about, mainly about the difference between sovereignty and human responsibility. Now oftentimes when we think of these two, they're usually pitted against one another. And usually people that pit these two against one another tend to be in the extremes. And in fact, I would argue that human nature tends to think in extremes because it's easier that way. Uh, we like our mind to be kind of uh, we want our minds to be like inertia. You know, it's easy just to go with the flow as opposed to really, really critically think through things in life. Um, and I think both of them, whether you uh, swing too hard one way on the sovereignty side or the human responsibility side, if you swing too hard towards any of the two extremes, uh, it's both wrong. And if you have even um, an initial a wrong attitude towards it, that's also wrong. Um, sometimes when I see people, um, lazy people in particular, tends to lean towards more the sovereignty side. You know, they're like, oh, well, if I'm not going to get married, then why do I try to ask anyone out? Or I'm not going to get a good job, so why do I try to work hard? Or I'm not going to get paid more. I'm not going to do this and that. So they just give up and they, they do all the, they do nothing and chop it down to, oh, this is just uh, the will of God. God's sovereign over this. Uh, reality, that's actually more of a fatalist perspective. A fatalist is someone who just doesn't believe that anything's going to change, so then they just give up, uh, which is not what the Christians are called to be, and that's not even how the Bible describes sovereignty. Uh, whereas the other end, I think anxious people tend to lean towards more human responsibility. Uh, anxious people, people that are always thinking that they have to figure everything else out, uh, they, they have to know every little detail in order to act. Uh, these people um, overemphasize human responsibility. And both of them, again, at their extremes, are wrong. And, and even if their heart attitude is laziness or anxiousness, that's also wrong. As Christians, we understand it's both in the sense that we uh, we trust in, sovereign, in God's sovereignty through uh, how God providentially works through our lives. Uh, we're held responsible uh, to how we live out our lives. We're, we're, we still need to uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, we still need to make decisions in life, but we have a, a absolute trust that God is working everything out for our good, no matter what the outcome may be. Um, Christians must always have this balanced view in life. You don't want to swing too much to one side or the other. Otherwise, uh, you'll have like a lopsided view and you'll live in a way that's just not really faithful to the Lord. And uh, we were called to do whatever we can and in the end rest in the hands of God. And I think this even, we see this in Matthew 13, verse 25, when Jesus speaks about the sower who who scatters seed and after he just goes to sleep. he doesn't worry so much about how the seed's going to grow or even what thieves going to come in tonight. Um, he just did his job and then he just trusts in the Lord and whatever he has to do. And that's what we need to do. Um, so when we get to this chapter in Esther 5, I want you to have that in your mind that the characters now are going to uh, act. They're going to finally make a move. And, and even though they aren't aware of how God's going to play things out, it is ultimately going to play out for, for God's for their good and God's glory, even though they don't they don't acknowledge who God is. 
if you want to be used mightily by God, then there must be certain characteristics about you. And we're going to go through um, six of them this week, three in the positive and three in the negative. Three positive and what you should be, and three in the negative is what you shouldn't be. And characteristics are both what you need and what you not and what you what you shouldn't be. You know that's why I think that's why I want to go through these two um, sides. Um, for example, you're not just called to be hardworking, but also uh, you're also called not to do immoral things. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to say yes to the right things and say no to the wrong things. It's not just saying yes to the right things and yes to the wrong things as well. It has to be both. You have to be able to do the right things as well as, as turn away from the things that are hindrances. Um, the Christian life is both. You need to have control over areas that you can and withhold things that you need to stay away from, mainly things that are sin, sinful. You want to grow and cultivate a Christ-like character while, uh, while putting off sin in your life. Uh, Christians must be marked by character, not a singular event or some sort of achievement. Uh, this is a twisted form of pride that stems uh, when a person that stuns actually a person's spiritual growth, youthfulness, and maturity. Um, you don't want to be that person that's just like, oh, uh, I, I did one good thing in the past, and that's all that they're known for. You want to be someone that's, that's marked by certain characteristics and attributes. So that's the defining marker of your life. Um, and at the same time, uh, you don't want to be someone that's just like marked by failure as well. You know, we have our ups and downs, but you want to be known by your godly character. And as we go through uh, the, these attributes later on in the week, um, there, these aren't all of them, obviously, but they're just some of the things that I find that are most helpful for us um, so that we can be used by God. So this first part here, again, the usual thing is I'm going to talk through this text and then I'll get to the application throughout this week. Uh, so here we go, chapter 5 of Esther. And just to sum up, you remember in chapter 3, um, uh, Esther, well, I guess uh, chapter 2 of Esther, that's when uh, Queen Esther becomes the queen because of her beauty pageant thing. She wasn't chosen. Um, she was basically chosen because of her looks. Uh, and uh, how she got to her position was because Mordecai, really urge her to go to, to try this beauty contest and she wins. So now she's in place as a queen and, um, and Mordecai at the end of chapter two saves the king by unfoiling this plot against him. He gets nothing for it. Chapter three, um, Haman, uh, wanted this guy, Haman comes out seemingly out of nowhere and he gets promoted and he gets bothered when, when Mordecai, this one Jewish person decide not to, uh, pay homage to him, to honor him. He gets so furious that he makes an edict uh, to kill all the Jews. Uh, he doesn't say it right away, but eventually once the king gives him the green light, he t- he, it's revealed that he wants to kill all the Jews. So he makes this rule throughout the entire land saying that one year from now, all the Jews are going to die. Chapter 4, uh, this is the, the, you know, the telephone game that uh, Haman and oh no, sorry, Mordecai and Esther was playing. Uh, Esther was, um, Mordecai was like, hey, uh, Esther, you gotta save us. And then Esther's like, I, I can't do this. And then it's like, no, you gotta figure this out. And they can go. And then it was like, they were going back and forth. And eventually Esther, at the end, says like, okay, well, we'll fast. Um, chapter four, verse, uh, 16. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susan. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I am, I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. 
some work kind of went away and did just as I said to him. So that's what we, that's so far, what, that's what the story has been so far. At this point, this is when the character's gonna, they're gonna, gonna the play, the plot is gonna, gonna get played out. Um, so here we go, chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's room. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So three days later, um, they said they fasted. And when you think of fast, it usually does have a spiritual connotation to it. But I, again, it's unknown mainly because it doesn't say who they were fasting to. Um, you, you don't know if they're fasting to other pagan gods or, or if Esther just used those three days to think. I think that's what she was just doing. She spent all her time just thinking about a, the plan to how to figure this out, how to you know, figure out how to save all the Jews. Um, and then you had to realize that here in verse one, it said that she stood there, which is, it, it's basically like the moment of truth. If she gets killed, then the rest of the book would have ended. But we see that that's not the case. Verse two. When the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, she observed, she, she obtained favor in his sight. The king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. This was just a cultural thing that kings would do. They just uh, raise the scepter, and that means that you can come towards the person, and then you can touch the, uh, the, uh, the scepter, and it means that you can speak. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom shall be given to you. This, this phrase sounds <laughs> familiar because it's actually even used in the New Testament as well in, in um, Mark chapter 6. Remember the king that was like uh, was seduced by this one uh, lady and she asked, what do you want to give half the kingdom? And he said, I'm with the head of John the Baptist. This is similar language in that sense. Uh, and, and what uh, King Harris, what he doesn't know is that what is going to happen is actually going to cost him probably even more than half of the kingdom. But he doesn't know what he's saying. Again, this king is the king that just kind of gets moved from one thing to another. He obviously is uh, he's, a, he's competent in so many other areas in a worldly sense. But in other areas, he is a failure. Uh, verse 4. Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. So she said, let's just have dinner. <laughs> and uh, so then the king said, bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. So the king Haman came to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Uh, as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, what is your petition for it shall be granted to you? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom, it shall be done. So the king at some point realizes, okay, you did not come after 30 days of not seeing me just to have dinner, um, just to have this little banquet. Uh, at some point, it seems to uh, it seems to dawn on Esther that okay, there's going to be a change of plan. Uh, different commentators d- uh, debate on what, why she did not just make the request there, um, and, it's, and it doesn't know. It's for whatever reason she just adapted to the situation, and that was it. Like she just chose to make her request to have another banquet, as we've seen in verse seven uh, to nine. It's eight. So Esther replied, "My petition." My petition and my request is this. If I found favor in the sight of the king, if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king Haman and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. And so then he's like, so she basically plays the audible and requests another meal. Uh, verse 9. Then Haman went out that day, and glad and pleased of heart. 
but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, uh, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. So I think that's actually so funny that like he he Haman is just like King Ezra just like he has one thing that he doesn't have, he gets worked up by it. Uh, Haman sees Mordecai, and I don't know if Mordecai is like, oh man, I wonder what Esther's doing. There's probably some thought into it. Uh, and again, Haman isn't aware that Esther and Mordecai are, uh, he must not have been aware that like they're related, otherwise he would have been a little bit more fearful of Mordecai. Uh, but instead, he decides to have his little meal, another meal, or a hangout with his friends and his wife. Uh, verse 11, then Haman recounted to them the glories of his riches and the number of his sons, which I found hilarious because he's telling his wife the number of kids that he has. And if you were a wife or his wife, you would think, I know, because I gave birth to all of them. Anyways, in every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king, Haman also said, even Esther, the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared, and tomorrow I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew standing at the king's gate. It's so interesting that every time Mordecai speaks of Haman, I mean, sorry, the other way, every time Haman speaks of Mordecai, he calls him the Jew, that he, he's like specific, specifically targeting not just him, but all the Jews. But then his wife gives a suggestion. Then Zeresh's wife and all his friends said to him, have a gallows 50 cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. So what they're basically saying is, you know, you don't actually have to wait a year to kill this guy. You could just do it. You should just kill him tomorrow and then kill the rest later. Um, and then and then for some reason, Haman didn't realize, like, well, I could do that. Yeah, that's right. I have influence. I have the king's ear. I can do, I could make these type of calls. And this was, this brought a tremendous joy to him. And, and yeah, and then he was happy about this. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gals made. Again, the gallows what we're thinking about is not like the like a rope hanging around the neck. Think of these huge, long spikes uh, that they would just throw people over and it would pale them so that people that walk by can see uh, these um, huge spikes of like dead bodies all over it. Um, so he does, he makes this he makes this whole he makes this the, these these gallows uh, in hopes that the next day that Mordecai will be killed. So that's the the, the overarching story so far in chapter 5. Um, so we're going to look at six attributes, things that you want to be in life and things that you don't want to be. If you want to be magnified, want to be used by God mightily, here are the three things you want to be in a good sense and three things that you, don't, that you want to avoid. Uh, so I'll just give them all to you right now. What do you want to be in life? The first one is you want to be bold. The second one, you want to be humble. The third, you want to be flexible. And what, you, what you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be a person who's filled with anger, you don't want to be proud, and you don't want to be discontent. If you want to be used by God mightily, you must have all six of these at minimum so that the Lord can use you in a way that you may never have thought. And I trust that's what all, all of us want. We want to be able to be used by God and have a lasting gospel impact on those in our lives. Um, so that's what we're going to look at this week. And uh, 
if you haven't read this chapter, or uh, I would recommend you go over it again. And uh, hope this is again helpful to all of you. And uh, I'll be pr- I'm praying for you guys. And hope to see you soon. Bye.